Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the world. First things first, thanks to everybody who came out to House of Independence for our kid-friendly comedy show. That one was fun. That was pure chaos. That was unbridled anarchy and a heck of a good time. Want to give some shout-outs, first of all, to our friends Take Today. Take Today is a great band from South Jersey. They learned a whole bunch of songs from Frozen and Encanto and cartoon theme songs. And the kids were able to pick what songs got played when. And Take Today stepped up. And please support them. Great punk band out of South Jersey. Really, really nice people. So worth supporting. And they stepped up so hard. Also, there's been a bunch of comedians that have done bits on the New Jersey is the World live show. I've been so impressed. As you know, I moved back to New Jersey. I'm doing more and more shows. Meeting people like uh, Franco Danger, uh Ali May, Danny Brav, to name just a few um, great, great comedians coming out of Jersey right now. I have to shout out the comedians who helped us out with this show. If you were at the show, you know that we had a dinosaur and an alien. We had people in these big inflatable outfits. And uh, the dinosaur was Nick Fierro, great, great comedian out of Jersey City. And the alien was Devin Hall, who is so funny. So good. Follow these people. Find them online and follow them. These were the MVPs of the show. Right before the show, I said, you know, maybe the dinosaur, when we have the dinosaur and the alien come out, instead of coming on stage, go out in the crowd and dance. Like, get close to the kids. That might be cool for the kids. What I didn't anticipate was that the kids would beat the shit out of the dinosaur and the alien. And man, Nick Fierro and Devin Hall, they and they had to keep going back out every time the kids summoned the dinosaur and the alien and we had given all the kids these light up glow sticks as part of this thing about thomas edison inventing the light bulb and man those kids i gotta say i was both terrified probably as scared as i've been in 22 years of live performing but also very inspired to see that the children of new jersey their instinct was oh there's a dinosaur better step up and fight that dinosaur and they took off those glow stick necklaces and they used them like whips and they beat Nick Fierro until he was down on the ground. And man, it was scary, but it was funny. Glad to see that the kids of New Jersey have not gone soft compared to my generation. They said, oh, yeah, dinosaur, we better be the first line of defense to take this thing out. And man, did they try. Thanks to everybody. We're taking August off from our House of Independence run as I will be in Edinburgh, Scotland as part of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, but September will be back. So keep your eyes peeled for the tickets. And uh, thanks again to everybody who came out. If you want to see me do my show before Edinburgh, chrisgeth.com, I got a show at Morris Plains. If you're up in the Morris County area, up at Tiff's, uh, Tiff's Restaurant, the Dojo of Comedy East, come on out on the 21st. It's not about me, it's about the show. This is a classic, old school, New Jersey is the world style, Woe Town episode where we get together, we pick a very broad, loose topic, and we shoot the shit, Jersey style. This one's a simple conversation topic. It's the most Jersey night you ever had. The most Jersey day of your life. The most Jersey night of your life. We brainstorm. We get the conversation rolling. It leads to some funny anecdotes. It's a loose, light one. You're going to like it. We want to hear from you about what the most Jersey day of your life was. 973-780-4660. Leave a voicemail. Three minutes or less. Might show up on the show. Want to hear from you. And uh, also, of course, we always love feedback on the internet, particularly at patreon.com slash New Jersey is the world. Those discussion threads often get me through long work weeks 
Anyway, enjoy the episode. Thanks again to everybody who came out. God bless Take Today and Nick Fierro, Devin Hall, and all the young comedians in New Jersey taking it on the chin as they chase the dream. Hi, everybody. It's Chris Gethard. Welcome to New Jersey is the world. Specifically, this is Wotown, one of the many shows we have. On the New Jersey is the World Network, this is the one where myself and two other guys who grew up in West Orange, New Jersey, get together and talk about the past and try to laugh so as to not be completely traumatized by growing up in Essex County in the 80s and 90s. Bonaduce, how you feeling today? Fantastic. It's a glorious uh, summertime out. Uh, hope everybody's getting out there, having fun and enjoying New Jersey. Glad to hear it. Mike D., how you holding up? I'm doing great. I'm also uh, enjoying summer. I had some town pool action this weekend, so Ooh. you know nothing like nothing like a town pool to kick your kick the summer off. Love the town pool. I have, I am doing well myself. Just to tell everybody, we're recording this on a Tuesday night now. I've started volunteering with the EMT squad, so I my shift is on now. Most times, um, nothing happens. Most times, I go and I do my rig check, they call it, and then nothing happens, and I wake up the next morning and someone else takes over at seven a.m. The past two weeks, I've said, well, we can still record because I rarely get calls and. Of course, the past two weeks I've gotten calls before we start. So thank you, fellas, for starting late. And to all of our listeners, if you hear a blaring alarm go off and then the episode just abruptly ends, it means I had to go drive an ambulance around Morris County. You're welcome. If people want to know when you appeared on the... So if people don't know, we record this on a video streaming platform and then we record the audio. And Chris, when you appeared on the stream tonight, we were already here chatting, uh, Nick, myself, and Carson, and you came on and appeared to be what, what is a karate gi it looked like you were wearing. Yes, no, it's a, it's a white, it is a white polo shirt the, issued to me by the first aid squad of my town. I wish that my town required that all EMTs drive around in karate gis. That would be fantastic. Karate geese and Umbro shorts. I mean, if there was, if, if there, if West, if we grew up at West Orange had an EMT squad with karate gi tops and Umbro shorts bottoms, we would have called 911 every day and then just hidden out to watch them. We would have like called from pay phones and then run and watch from behind bushes somewhere just to laugh. I'm surprised you didn't do it in West Orange. That was like, a, especially since you were involved in like the marching band. I, I thought like part of the EMT outfit was actually wearing the marching band. <laughs> uniform when you went out to like go rescue people oh, there were a few there was some crossover there but you know i i just played gong on the sideline i was just there to chase girls we've gone over this everybody knows and it worked out it worked out um tonight simple episode for your ears everybody i hope you enjoy this one Nice, simple topic. I was sitting around brainstorming a few different topics, and I started thinking to myself, what's the most Jersey night I've ever had? The most Jersey day I've ever had? What's a day that, or a night, an experience that I can look at and go, yeah, that, that is it. That nails my Jersey experience. Simple question. Also kind of deceptively tough, because I'm sitting there, I'm going, does that mean... It's tough. Does it bring up like Jersey archetypes? Does it bring up Jersey... Are there specific emotions? All I know is I want to talk tonight about nights we've all had that we feel like this might be the most Jersey it ever got for me. We'll each toss out a, a few different options along the way. And uh, I'm sure our listeners are going to want to tell us about their most Jersey nights. You can leave your comments on the Patreon. That's where we interact the most with our listeners. And of course, 973-780-4660 is our voicemail line. Let us know. 
let us know. Uh, I think what we'll do is we'll keep it simple. Each of us will throw out a few options and then we'll debate which one's really the most Jersey uh, for each of us as an individual. And then which one of those seems to be the most Jersey night anybody's ever had overall. So that that could be a fun way to structure this one. I've got a whole bunch. Some of these, I'm a little worried. Some of these might be stories that I've told on the podcast before, but um, at the very least, I promise you, we're going to go into more detail and uh, flesh out things that you maybe have heard indicated before. I'm also going to, my wife just texted me and asked if she could bring me some pie with ice cream since I just went on a 911 call. And I'm going to tell her, yeah, and I'm going to eat on mic tonight, Bonaduce. How do you feel about that? I'm very happy that I'm influencing you in a negative way. Since I was 13 years old. (laughs) Since I was 13 years old. That's been true. What kind of pie? Allie baked a strawberry crisp. She's going to bring up a strawberry crisp with some vanilla ice cream. She texted me a picture of this and said, can I bring it to you? I said, fuck yeah. Out here driving people up to Morristown Medical Center. That is some some Hollywood Gethard shit. Did she make her own crust or no? Is it? I'm going to eat this pie on mic, everybody. Every- Got to take care of your man. To all of our, our listeners, my, oh, and it's still warm. Ooh. I love you so much. I'm going to be eating some pie, everybody. Oh, yeah. What's that por- is that portion control there? Damn. Are you watching the- yeah, that's her. She's, that's her picking out the portion for me. Believe me. I'm going to have more later. Mm. That's some good. You like wake up and sleepy. You find you like you wake up with your face covered in strawberries. And those are strawberries. Her and Cal went to Whiteman Farms out on 202. Picked the strawberries. Picked the strawberries themselves. Okay. I'm going to enjoy this strawberry crisp. Who would like to start? Who'd like to thread? I know that I have one that my gut instinct is that is my most jersey one. I'm going to save that one for the last of my options. Um, so I suggest maybe we do that. Start with one where you're like, this might be it. But if you have a gut instinct for one that's a killer, save that for last. I can't think of. You know, when, when I started thinking about this, my angle of this was a situation that in most parts of the country would just be an average normal night out or evening out but because it takes place in new jersey it automatically takes a bizarre and dark turn to it that was how i was viewing this versus like i went to see lucy the elephant then i went to jackie lemon ice then i went to star tavern so that was my view of of how this works mm-hmm. like this could only happen in new jersey oh, it's so hard mm-hmm mm-hmm a tough this I really struggled with this. I found out about the subject at 1 30 and then had a series of debacles that I always have in my life and literally was racing to set up for tonight. So um this is gonna be a tough one and I immediately my gut instinct always goes to these like you know worst case scenario or uh you, you know I'm trying to not <clears throat> reinforce any stereotypes about uh, Nikki Bonaduce so I'll try and Think about a regular Nick story, but we'll see how that goes. Okay. I'll kick off with a story that I had not thought about in a very, very long time, which is the time that I went on what I think is the most New Jersey camping trip that has ever occurred and could only occur in New Jersey. Oh, my God. It was when when we were at Rutgers, and uh, a couple of friends that – they, they weren't in our core crew of people, but I was very friendly with them. They said, hey, we know this great camping spot up in Sussex County. We should all go camping this weekend. I said, oh, it sounds great. So Friday comes around and uh, myself and um, you know two, two ladies that I were, fr- were friends with, we pack 
in one car and we drive to meet these other friends. We drive up to their house and they have a little Jeep and they're like, oh, is everybody ready to go? And we're like, yeah, ready to go. And on top of their Jeep, they have a Papasan chair strapped to the top of the Jeep. And, you know, a Papasan chair is one of those weird round chairs that's not really connected to the base, like something you would see. Oh, like wicker? Yeah, wicker. You, like the Buddha would sit in it in like a bad 80s movie. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what's the Papasan chair for? And like, oh, we're, we're going to sleep in this tonight. Like I immediately recognized this as being a very poor idea for, for camping. So we're ready, of course, like the idiots we are. It's very late. By the time we get up to, to Sussex County, it's completely pitch black. And the one friend of ours, she's like, oh, I know where it is. And we, we drive around and we pull over to this. Uh, it's basically like a turnoff on the side of the road. It is not any type of state park. It is not any type of labeled campground. There's literally like a place where you can see cars have pulled off to the side of the road. We pull off to the side of the road and there's this pitch black trail that we all start walking up and they have this Papasan chair and they're each carrying a piece of the Papasan chair. We are wandering through the woods and finally we, we get to this very rocky clearing and they're like, oh, this is the, the campsite. I'm like, okay, this doesn't really seem like a campsite. It's just a clearing somewhere. So we we put the tent up. They take the, the Papasan chair and set it up. We try to light a fire. There's no fire ring. We have no firewood. This doesn't doesn't work. We we hang out for a while. We you know, and then eventually we go to bed. And <laughs> I'm in the in the tent with these two women who, in the middle of the night, get into an insane drug induced fight. I mean, like an actual literal fist fight. And we all get out of the tent, and they're fighting. And one of them takes the tent and throws it down the gully, like flings it off the top of this like weird little precipice that we're on. So now. We have two people sleeping in a Papasan chair. Me and these two two women who now have no tent. It starts raining and we're basically all not in good shape at this point. And we sit under a tree and, and I would say we fall asleep, but really we pass out because we're, we're not in great shape. And the next thing I know, I hear the loudest sound that I ever like an earth shaking sound like when uh like when the planet blows up in Transformers, the movie, it's that sound. And I look up and literally 40 feet from where we are passed out under this tree are two gigantic dump trucks that are being filled with gravel. And now that it's daylight, I see the campsite we're at is really just the backside of an active stone quarry in Sussex oh County. God. So we're lucky we didn't just get run over by giant dump trucks in the middle of the night. And I feel like that is a, the most New Jersey camping trip you can possibly have. That, that could occur in no other place in the country. Well done. A hell of a contender right out of the gate. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's and here is related to Mike D and camping, and Mike D through like you know one of his phases where he was an avid outdoorsman and you know whatever. But we also went on a camping trip one time spontaneously <laughs> oh, no. and left at about eleven o'clock at night and wound up what I know now is Batstow. Yes. So in Batstow, there are many roads and twists and turns and whatever. So of course it's fine. Like. I don't know, one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. Of course, this started in Rutgers also. <laughs> and we go down there, wind up setting up camp, and or, or, I'm, I'm sleeping outside by the fire because the tent is too small for three people. And just drinking all night, dancing around the fire, uh, became like a shaman chanting, wake up to a state... 
I guess, uh, park police on a speaker from across the other side of like the lake slash river area that we're in and said, <laughs> don't go anywhere. I'm coming over. And of course we have like, you know, alcohol and beer and all kinds of other contraband. And I'm trying to wake these two other fools up, Mike D and John in the tent. And uh, he comes over. I wind up getting like... $450 in fines because we were 10 feet away. The fact that we were even near a campsite, but we were 10 feet away from an actual campsite. We weren't in it. And then I didn't have a permit. And then this led to a debacle because this is before I knew anything really about the Pine Barrens, except for like the Jersey devil is this is us driving down these like fire roads, which are like, you know, sand roads, like, and everything looks exactly the same. And that's also pre-GPS all those years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no, no GPS no out GPS. there. Like, no cell phone. Like, we're just, like, we're winging it. And, of course, we, in our travels, there's, like, you know, there's places where there's, like, water in the road. And, of course, we have our friend with his nice, you know, 4 by 4 mountaineer wind up driving through a three-foot puddle, almost gets stuck in that. And where did we wind up? We wind up at the... The Emilio Carranza Monument, as is known, but you always forget the name. I can't remember his name. I've been there several times. So that was the first time we're like all standing there. We're like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like we realize there's like all these other vehicles like coming through here. So of course, we're not like, we're not like smart. We don't follow them out. We just continue to like drive down these like fire roads and we're like, we're running out of gas. And of course, you come back out to this house. And it's like literally a tin roof house with like goats standing on top of like his this guy's porch. This guy's like a real like piney musket dragger, like white scraggly hair. And who pulls up right where we're going by? The same state park ranger. And he's like engaging and they're pointing and looking at us and saying things. And we're just like, this is it. We're all going to get locked up in the middle of like the Pine Barrens down here. But uh, yeah, so don't go camping with Mike T. Um, we wind up only spending one night there. And then like leaving and getting lost coming home. Wow. But yeah, that, that was, that was, I don't know if it's a Jersey night, but it was definitely um, a good South Jersey Pine Barren night. Well, it can only happen here. Could, I mean, yes. you're only getting lost in Pat's, in Batstow and coming across the Carranza Memorial in Jersey. Mm-hmm. We also came, like, Nick, you're underselling the puddle. We were driving on this fire road, and like I said, our friend had a really nice, like a, was, a mountaineer, some really nice big truck. Yeah. And we're driving through all these puddles. And they're both pretty shallow. We drive through one and it goes down and the water is like up to the doors of the car. And our buddy's like, Oh my God, what do I do? And Nick, you save this because you were like, just gun it, just gun it. And he hits the gas and we get to the top of this puddle. And as soon as we get to, it's not even a puddle. It's like a, a mini lake. We get to the top of it and the car, the truck dies in the middle of the pine barrens because obviously the exhaust is filled with water. Yeah. You know? And the truck is not Jesus. meant for that. Right. And what did you, you let it dry out? It started up again? How does that work? It wound up coming out of the exhaust pipe, but just like yeah. kind of sat there for a little bit. And then he tried to start it and like, uh, thank God he didn't make it in too far. And then uh, it like blew the rest of the water out. And like, we got out of there. Whew. You two started with two outdoor stories. Now, I, I, I don't think any of us should be listing more than like three options for most Jersey night. But since you went outdoors, I will tell you one of my runners up, um, this was number six on my list. You have six? My God. Uh, or number five on my list. There was one infamous night. It was not with Mike D. It was with Fran, Mike's brother. Fran and I, it, when we were all at Rutgers together, Fran used to come up and, because, you know, uh, Fran went to school in Philly. So rather than stay with your mom back then, Mike D, Fran would often live with me in the summers. And then we'd hang out at 11 Robinson and he'd crash at my place. And um, 
I think there were two summers where Fran lived with me. And one of them, we did decide, I had become aware of the existence of the Delaware and Raritan Canal. Um, I learned about it in a Rutgers class. And I'd always seen it when you drive up Easton Avenue to get to 287 out of New Brunswick. You know, you drive all the way through Somerset and all along you see it. I go, oh, that's the DNR Canal. Fran and I did once buy a children's toy raft from, I think, KB Toys. I think I went to a mall and went to KB Toys. We were like, let's raft down this fucking canal. And we decided to do it as is the theme of these stories. It's probably like 11 at night. We were like, fuck it. Let's blow up this raft. And my roommate, uh, Butch, he drove us up to like all the way to the top of Easton Ave, right before you get on 287. And Fran and I, in the middle of the fucking night, all we brought with us was like half a gallon of water and a bag of smart food cheddar popcorn. And we threw this thing in the canal. We climbed down the side and as soon as we climbed down and got in, one of the paddles broke because it was a children's toy. So we had one paddle. I got up, tried to chase Butch, and we just saw his taillights go. He like, didn't see me chasing him. And it took us hours. It was hours in the middle of the fucking night. And I never forgot this part, man. First of all, Fran was so mad because I was useless. Like I was sitting up front, and every time I paddled, he's like, you're just splashing me in the fucking face. Stop. So he paddled the whole time. There's only one paddle. So I was up there like the fucking mascot. Um eating cheddar popcorn like a king, not doing any of the work. But when we got to, um, we, had, we hadn't even scouted it. We just figured, oh, this canal meets the Raritan River and they flow together like two. Uh. Oh, that's just like two streets that gently merge together. No, what happened is we'd been paddling all night and there's no current on the canal. So you're literally just dragging all of our body weight. And all of a sudden, Fran looks, I just hear him going, the fuck is happening up there? And I'm like, what? And he's like, there's birds flying out from under the surface of the water. He's like, that's insane. Look, and then I can make it out in the darkness. There's like these black things shooting up. And I'm like, those aren't birds. They're bats. And Franny realized we were like maybe 10 yards away. It's uh, when the canal meets the river, they don't just flow together. It's like a culvert that merges them. And this thing, I don't, it, it wasn't at 90 degrees, but it wasn't far away. Like if he hadn't seen these bats flying out of this fucking thing, we would have just paddled into this and and plummeted like 20 feet down this concrete tunnel <laughs> and died. Uh, so we just got out. We walked the rest of the way through New Brunswick at like three in the morning, carrying an inflatable raft. And uh, some bros some bros on their porch gave us beers and asked us what we were up to. We told them, hey, we just paddled all the way down the canal. They gave us beers. This is connected to you not being near water and inflatable devices. Like inflatable shoes. Oh yeah, me. You put me and air and water together, and I almost die. This is a running theme of the podcast. But that DNR canal runs like extensively, and is actually like a water supply now for um, some towns. But anyway, I was doing part of that. They were dredging it, and literally in places, it's like maybe a half a foot, and it's very still and like very mosquitoes. So I had a, I, I never knew about this other section. I was always familiar with that section. But it goes like it runs all over the place. It's like pretty interesting. Yeah, I think it goes from Princeton to New Brunswick. This summer, we should all put on inflatable feet and run down the DNR Canal. Just run as fast as we can, man. That'd be the best. Okay, I can kick off the next round because we had a nature round. Hmm, there you go. So why don't I kick off this next round? I, I'm one of the most Jersey nights I've ever had. A transformative night for me. And if you know anything about me, this really did set a lot of my life. Um life's direction and it involves one of the people on this stream the silent the silent Wotown member 
the silent assassin himself, Carson Cup. So I, out of our whole crew, I was a comic book kid, Middle Earth Comics. I go in one day, I see issues eight and nine of Weird New Jersey sitting in the window. As I walked in, I was like, what the fuck is that? My brother had been a huge fan of this book, Roadside America, that was all about like strange roadside crap all over the country. He loved it. I loved it too. And that was kind of tapped in with the WFMU scene. Those guys used to promote the book on there. So I saw Weird New Jersey. I was like, this feels like Roadside America, but just for New Jersey. And issue nine has a picture from the bin, from some of the spray paint at the bin. And it said abandoned mental hospitals on the front. I was like, what the fuck? So Carson came out to me. I took those two copies to school. And like everyone who was halfway interested, I had them addicted to this thing quick. I was like early wave. Those were the first two issues that actually got distributed into bookstores and whatnot. I later found out, you know, up until then it had been a fanzine that you had to order. Those were the first ones where they made a real play to try to like get distribution. And I was one of those first people. So their plan was like, let's get people, let's get it into people's actual hands and I was the exact type of person they wanted. I, I was like the evangelist for Weird New Jersey. So we were all reading it and uh, and obsessing over it. And I was always like, in high school, I've had, I've had people tell me this, that I was always like, I was the fringe member of like 10 different groups and not the core member. Like I was in the musical, I was in the marching band. I was one of the punk kids. I was, uh, you know, in the debate club. I just did all these things. So I was always like the sixth or seventh person in any given group. So I was always bouncing around. But what happened was like anyone from that Venn diagram who was into this shit met up at Carson's house one night because we found out that Midgetville and Annie's Road were the same road because Midgetville is a turnoff off of Annie's Road in Totowa. And dude, Carson's basement, if I haven't talked about this on the show, Carson's basement, looking back on it, after you guys graduated senior year, I was a sophomore. And Carson was a freshman. Carson's basement is a place that saved lives. I always will say, and I know that his folks listen to the show and I've thanked them in person, but I thank them every, almost every time. They had the drum set down there. They had the amps down there. There was a VHS player. They had cool ass fucking movies that like, like you know, I later came to find out through Weird New Jersey because Carson's dad is really close with the, the Marks from Weird New Jersey. Of like, oh, Carson's parents were like WFMU listening weirdos of the prior generation. <laughs> and they looked out for the kids who were that of the next generation. So like we had a place to go. I can say like for all the problems West Orange kids have, I think there were many nights in my life where I probably would have been like fucked up in the woods if I, if it hadn't been for Carson's folks, just being like, everyone come here and fucking chill. It was awesome. So we were a whole bunch of us that were there for one night and it, you could tell it was a thing I organized because it was like, all right, there's like three, three people from this crowd, two people from this crowd. It's like, you know, I'll drop names for our generation. It's like, there's a, it's one of these rare nights where it's like, I got fucking Mark Zaki and John Michael and Dan Amon all in the same room. And these are all people I know and they're all coming together because they're like, I'll go see the houses where all the fucking little people throw rocks at you. I'll go find the road where the blood is. So we're planning it. And again, this is pre-GPS. We all just got our licenses. We had three cars and um, we're all down there planning it. And you know, you got that adrenaline, a bunch of teenage boys. Oh, we're going to do this. Blah, blah, blah. No, I think it's off of Route 46. No, no, no. We should cut off 23. It looks like we've got like actual maps out. It's fun. But Carson's parents are upstairs and they can hear that something's going. Like you can hear the tenor and tone of teenage boys who are up to fucking trouble. Oh, and I forget if it was his mom or dad that came downstairs, but it was like, what are you guys up to? But like, 
I had a lot of love for Carson's folks at that point. Like I, I re- Carson and I, it's funny. Carson and I have had stretches where we're real close and then we've lost touch and we always come back together. And I've always said like me and like hanging out in his basement was some of the most fun fucking warm feelings I have about high school. So I wasn't going to lie to Mr. and Mrs. Cop, you know, like there's other stories I have where I skirted that and uh, didn't end well. But this one, we were just like, oh, we found this magazine. We want to go look at the fucking thing. And we figured he was going to be like, I'm shutting this down. Don't go or I'll call your parents. Cause that's what most parents would do. But Mr. Cop was like, okay, um, you're bringing Brian. So Carson was a junior. Brian's what? Two or three years younger than you, right? Cars? Four years younger. So he, he's in seventh grade. He's an actual child. He's like, you're bringing Brian. He's like, this is cool as hell. If you're doing it, bring him. So our plan was like, we'll go, we'll find Midgetville. We'll get them to throw rocks at us. We'll find the blood streak on Annie's road. And then we'll sneak into Laurel Hill Cemetery. We're going to find Annie's grave. See if we can summon her ghost. You know, we're going big. 15 fucking scumbags from West Orange. One of them is literally a child. I look like a child. We get there. We don't know shit about Totowa. You guys remember, that's one of the Jersey things. That One of the beautiful things about weird New Jersey, outside of all the stories, is you realize it's the first thing that made all of us drive to another town on our own, you know? And when you're in- Right, you're never going to go to Totowa without that. Yeah. Dude, and, you, and what, when you grow up in West Orange, Totowa feels like Kansas, you know? And then you get older, you're like, oh no, it's next to Wayne. It's next to the Willowbrook Mall. It, you feel like you've gone on this epic journey, you know? You feel like you just went through fucking- Everything. So we drive out there. We figure it out. Uh, we get on Riverview Drive. We see Midgetville. We yell at them a little bit. Nobody yells back at us. Drive up and down looking for the blood streak. Then we park our cars. Now, I've later come to learn Totowa, there's not that many people in that town. That's Notoriously, Totowa is a town that has so many graveyards. There's more dead people than alive. Like There's not many actual people that live there. So we park in these quiet areas, like 15 of us, all adrenaline up. We go to sneak into the cemetery. Pretty quickly into it, Carson's brother, who again is real little, is like, yo, what are we What are we doing? This is like really scary. I tried to play it tough, but I will cop to the fact I was scared out of my mind too. I was like, Brian, you know, if you're not into it, I'll just wait with you. And everybody was like, yeah, you sure? Like you're the one who found the magazine. It's kind of your thing. I was like, it's all good, fellas. I'll, t- I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit on this one. Meanwhile, I'm like, get me the fuck out of this cemetery. It's scary as shit. It's huge. So me and Brian cop. We're just walking around Totowa. There's like people looking. I see people looking out curtains at us. Oh, man. This was stupid. Brought 15 fucking West Orange dirtbags. So all of a sudden, we just hear like, like this burst of noise. We see a few lights flashing and then nothing. And Brian's looking at me because I'm a senior in high school. So I am justifiable. In In his eyes, I'm an adult, but I'm just a kid. I'm like, I'm sure everything's fine. I'm sure everything's fine. Couple minutes later, we see Carson and Steve Feynman, who I haven't talked to in years, but if he somehow finds this, shout out to Steve Feynman. I knew that guy from kindergarten for Steve Feynman was this real, like quiet, nerdy guy who then end of junior year, everyone realized he was the funniest motherfucker in West Orange. And he just became fucking cool. Everybody just, he became like a beloved fucking dorky mascot of my senior class. But he was physically, and Steve, much love to you. I think you will laugh if you hear me say this. Steve Feynman, at least at 17 years old, maybe he's turned into some sort of CrossFit dude now. He was a physically uncoordinated human being in high school. He was 6'4", probably. He was really tall and uh, really skinny, but not like a physical dude. Dude, Carson and Steve Feynman come running out. So there's now four of us accounted for. There's 11 other kids, no sight of them. Carson 
looks pale as a ghost, just hauling ass. Steve Feynman's running towards us. He holds up his hands and his palms are bleeding. It looks like he has fucking Jesus stigmata. <laughs> There's just blood gushing from both of his palms. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And they're both like, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We got to go. We run back to the block where our cars are parked. Turns out he's, they were all in there making noise, taking pictures with the flash. Oh. And next thing you know, boom, a spotlight comes on. And these cemetery caretakers had rolled up in a pickup truck, had a big floodlight in the back, and they just blasted on these kids. And everybody scattered in different directions. So one by one, all these different West Orange kids are showing up. It's groups of one, two, three, just everybody's trickling back to the cars. Turned out the fucking thing with the palms was Carson and Steve ran in the same direction and they got to a chain link fence that was pretty high. Uh. Carson hopped the fence turns around and Steve's like, I can't hop a fucking fence this tall. Like I haven't hopped it. I can't hop this fucking fence. And Carson, yeah, Carson, jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like these are the broad strokes. Carson's like, dude, you can fucking hop the fence. Like summon the adrenaline. We're getting chased by undertakers. Hop the fucking fence. So Steve's trying, he can't do it. He's just fuck. I mean, this guy made Greg Gethard look like fucking, like a fucking, a mathlete, Olympic athlete. Like he really was not physically a, an adept human being back then. So Carson hopped back over the fence and basically put him on his shoulders and hoisted him up. And Steve just took his hands and on the top of the fence pushed himself over, but like uh. pushed his hands down. But it was it was chain link, so it had the little twisties, you know, at the top, uh. like the barb. So he just fucking mashed his own hands into him. He's bleeding from his fucking palms. Everybody else is coming back. With their own story. Oh, they chased me like this. Oh, they chased me with the car. They chased me out of the car. Our one friend, he's still out there making music. I actually just saw a video of his pop up on Reddit. Uh, his name was Antoine Poncelet. And he, he very much fits what you think. He was like, he was our friend. Like, we all liked punk back then. He was the guy who liked The Cure, Depeche Mode, industrial stuff. He knew about all that stuff. He was covered in mud. And I'll never forget, he ran, he was running down a hill and he slipped. And it was a section that had, it didn't have like tombstones. It had like the flat grave markers. So he's like tumbling down this hill and like realizing, oh my God, I'm rolling over fucking graves. And he's covered. And there's a part of me that's like, that's traumatic. Like he was really shaken up. There's also a part of me that's like, if you're the kid in high school who really likes the cure, that's also kind of your fucking dream come true. Let's be honest. You know, (laughs) you're sitting around listening to Echo and the Bunny Men. You like fall, slide down the mud and bouncing up the graves. It's kind of amazing. So everybody gets back to the cars except Dan. Now, any listeners from West Orange, Dan Amon is a name a lot of West Orange people know. He's kind of the king of down the hill of my generation. He's always at the St. Patrick's Day Parade, knows every bar. He used to always be at the Shillelagh Club. Great guy, like great, great guy. He just no-showed. But he grew up near me. He grew up right, he grew up, uh, I think like Whittlesea or Watson Ave down near Colgate Park. And he's a distant cousin of mine on my dad's side. So everybody, I kind of, I would say that at that era, a lot of these people knew each other and Dan was maybe the biggest outlier from the crew. He knew everybody at least. So people were like, fuck, man, we got to go find this kid, Dan. And I was just like, Dan's fine. And they all looked at me. I was like, Dan's like distantly related. I've known this guy. Me and this guy, I've seen him at Colgate Park, like where we would literally have fucking like gang fights for fun. Like literal, you guys are from this section of the neighborhood. We're from this block. Let's all just have a fist fight for fun. I've seen him be fine. Like I've played manhunt with Dan and watched him jump from like the roof of a house onto the roof of a garage and not break stride. Like out of everybody here, actually, I would bet on Dan to be fine. 
So we're all like, get in the cars. I left one seat open in my car. I forget who was with me, but I was like, I'll leave one seat open. Everybody get the fuck out of here. I'll find Dan. And we're driving around, driving in circles, driving in circles. We're finally on Annie's road and realizes it's us. I see Dan jump out of the bushes. He's running down the yellow line on Annie's road in the middle of the night, jumps into the car. And it uh, turns out what happened was he had brought his mom's camera. And that was one of the flash cameras that alerted these guys that were there. But as he ran away, he realized he dropped the camera and he was like, oh. That camera was fucking expensive and it was my mom's. He's like, if I lost that fucking camera, she was going to kill me anyway. So he was like, I might as well take my chances. So he Dead man. sat behind a tree while these undertakers were like plotting how to get all of us. And he crawled up and was like four feet away from them, grabbed the camera, got out of there, hopped the fence onto Annie's road, picked him up, got out of there. I would say if you're talking like teenage boy, weird New Jersey, adrenaline rush, go on epic adventures Think it's going to go one way, but it gets more fucked up. Think you're going to see a ghost, but instead some psycho human being tries to kill you. These are all Jersey tropes. My first night ever doing a weird New Jersey adventure. That might be the most Jersey night of my life. That might be the most Jersey night of my life right there. And a great lesson learned. Never lie to the cops. Carson's parents. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> they were down, man. It's still so shocking that they let a kid who was in sixth grade come with us on that night. They were the best. I, I, I aspire to be as cool as the cops were when Cal brings his friends around. Aspire to be. It was awesome. I'll throw that one down there as one of my candidates, but I got, I got one more after this that I think could top that. That's a tough one to beat. I'm trying to think if we have, if we have another adventure story that can that can match up to that. I mean, I think the the time that we went and got almost busted at Blairsden is pretty close to that, right? We true. a similar situation, you and I, um, and a bunch of random a random collection of people were all squeezed into a very small eighties Mustang with my extremely poorly behaved oh, dog. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the world's most poorly behaved dog. Poor uh, pilot. Poor pilot. She was a she was a, a good dog but had very bad manners. Um and the entire point of the mission was again pre pre internet, pre GPS, we'd found out that there was this mansion. Where is Blairsden actually? We didn't know at the time. It's like Far Hills, Peapack, Gladstone. That's real sleepy stretch of Somerset County. Kind of like 202, 206, 287, that, that stretch. But we had no, we didn't know what Peapack, Gladstone was. We didn't realize that it was this fancy part of New Jersey. All we knew was that there was a, a mansion where if you went to this mansion to get to the mansion to cross onto the grounds, you had to go over a bridge and if you went over the bridge, there was a very high chance that the ghost of a nun would attack you. But if you could make it past the, the nun, the ghost of the nun who would attack you, there was this pristine mansion there filled with ancient Chinese tapestries. And you wanted those tapestries so bad, Mike. We read that article. Love tapestries. I was working for Weird New Jersey when that came out. You sat me down. You were like we need to go get these tapestries. I mean, it seemed like such a great business. We just go there. All we have to do is bypass a ghostly <laughs> nun. 
we get these tapestries. We get on the train to to New York City from New Brunswick. We go into Christie's. We're like, hey, we've got these Chinese tapestries. The next thing you know, we're they're like, where there. did you get them? We get arrested. There's two guys on the train. They've got like uh, 14 foot tapestries on the New Jersey Transit. <laughs> but I mean, that was the plan. So we we drove out there. And we thought we were very slick. We were well-equipped. We thought we had a dog. We have our, our weapons, and we're driving through all these dark roads. And at the time, we don't realize that extremely wealthy people live in Peapack Gladstone. And if you have, first of all, the car was like a Cheech and Chong car. There's like smoke pouring out of the windows. This is, you know, 1997. We're in a 1984 Mustang. You know, dog is in the hatchback window running around. Also, more people than seatbelts. I think I was sitting in the trunk. Yeah, with the dog, probably. Yeah. and Yeah, I think it was me and the dog in the back. Ugh. At best, that car was a four-seater, and we probably had six people in it. And we slickly think, oh, nobody's around. And as we're about to get to where we think the mansion is, cops appear, they pull us over. And again, we roll down the windows, we... Marijuana smoke is pouring out of the car, and yeah, it was cartoonish. It, it, yeah, it was like Scooby. It was like an actual Scooby Doo thing. And the cops come over and license registration. They do that. We no, the, Mike D. The first words they say before license registration are just, "What are you doing? Oh, you looking for Blairston? Like they knew they clearly had a cottage industry of busting kids looking for this place. They like nailed us hard and then it was licensed why did they let us go though because your fucking dog flipped out on the cop that's right they were afraid the dog was going to bite them they didn't want to deal with it the cop was like do you have anything in there you shouldn't have and the driver who shall remain unnamed was like no and the cop was like really then why are there why does it look like a fucking dry ice machine is operating from inside <laughs> this car then like really you sure because it looks like you just pushed the button on like four smoke machines this is like the fucking like a wwe wrestler's entrance level of smoke you sure you don't want to tell me the truth and he walked towards the window and the dog pilot was like la, 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 la. he was like get out of here i'm not looking i'm not looking to get fucked with by a dog so get out of here yeah i think that whole uh the whole dog thing probably saved you because I think that was always like the uh, big thing with cops. If you have a dog in the car, it adds a whole other dynamic to the traffic stop and the potential. I think he realized these are college kids. They got weed. It's going to be weed. We hadn't actually trespassed yet. So I think he was going to give us a hard time. He's like, there's six of them. Who do I even charge? Hours of paperwork. There's a dog. Get back to Rutgers. Go back to New Brunswick and never step foot in this town again, you idiots. And I don't know that I have. I don't know that I have stepped foot in that town again. Here's the Gladstone Tavern, though. That's a delicious restaurant. Yeah, I've been up there, too, but I look much more respectable now. Not much more. (laughs) Slightly more respectable. I'll tell you this. I don't know if I've talked to you about this. I have since met someone who told me his uncle uh, purchased that mansion from the nuns. Cool. That before it was abandoned, his uncle lived in it for a while, and he said he's been in it. He said his uncle had all these stories about how like the elevators would open and close even though they weren't connected to the electricity anymore. All this shit. He said it was fucked up in there. What about the tapestries? Did he have any any information on those? No, no insight on those tapestries. He used to sleep with them wrapped around him at night. There is, Mike D, there's a part of me that knows for sure. There's definitely a part of you that believes those tapestries are still there and still has it in the back of your mind that you are going to go get them someday. I kind of think that if there were to be a... A nuclear apocalypse tonight. One of the, I would probably make it my mission 
to go there and rescue and safeguard those tapestries and other pieces of art. That would be sort of my my post-apocalyptic mission. Before before all the teeth fall out of your head. Yeah, now you're a little less, let's take them to Christie's and sell them in a little bit more, like we got to get these preserved correctly. You're a little more cultured now. Bonaduce, any other candidates for oh, most Jersey God, night of your I'd, life? Doesn't need to follow the adventure I, thread. I know. Well, I um, well, it's kind of an adventure. This is one that just popped in my head because I, Mike D had brought up another one, but he'll probably have to wind up telling most of the story because I don't remember most of it. But maybe we can save that one for last. But this is one that starts in Rutgers, and it's directly. So my my history was that I went from WVU to living at the at my fraternity house. <laughs> that was the same. Theta Chi from uh, West Virginia to Rutgers, made a lot of great friends. Um, and my one good friend, Josie, and I were the social chairs, so we organized all the parties and stuff like that. So we had just initiated all of our new brothers, and we were having this great big party at one of the many Indian-owned, dilapidated uh, motels along, like, Route 1. <laughs> so we're there, and, like... Of course, I'm like the guy, like, you know, we bring kegs and everything else like that. And of course, they're, they immediately become alerted because there's dancing girls and loud music. We had our very good friend who's uh, passed away now, DJ Hash, used to uh, DJ at Old Queens. DJ Hash, RIP. So Hash couldn't help himself to like blast music. And we kept on telling him, listen, we have to keep it down. We have like, you know, girls in here and like we're all acting like idiots, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, all of a sudden, of course, there's a knock on the door and there are like 15 like Indian guys, like owners, their families, nephews, cousins, and they're like, start threatening us. And I am completely blotto and proceed to like pretend that I'm a police officer for whatever reason. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, do you know who I am? Yeah. What? I'm like totally out of like my mind. This is like, this is Bonaduce came out and was like protecting Nick. And we were like, okay. The thing was, there was two doors to this place. There was the door to the hallway, which we answered. And then there was the back door. So the back door, everybody's like running out the back door at the time. We know the police are coming. And I, I tell my buddy Joe, I'm like, just close the door, door long enough because I'm not leaving the keg here. So Joe and I... He closes the door. We grab the keg, run it out. I strap it into the Volvo. As we're pulling away, the police are coming around the other side. And Joe turns to me. He's like, hey, listen. He's like, we had this full keg of beer. And you have to, it's in the middle of my Volvo in the back seat with like a seatbelt on it, like strapped around it like it's a person. <laughs> Joe goes, well, I know about this party tonight. It's down at like uh, Stockton. What? I was like, all right, well, whatever. No problem. So we're in New Brunswick. So we drive all the way down to like Stockton. Now I'm driving to Stockton with a tapped keg in the back <laughs> of my car. And the hose is like, and I'm not, you know, we're all young and stupid and whatever. And of course the hose is readily accessible. So we get down to Stockton. We realize that like, we're like, see people like, Oh, where's the big party? Like we got a keg. Let's, let's party. Like we'll come to your dorm room, whatever. Like we're like just, you know, idiots. So of course we get this Stockton. It's like the middle of nowhere. It's all piney and pine barrenish. I'm like, I've never been down there before. So we like talking to these people They're like, no, there's no party here or whatever. So somebody tells us, but oh, there's this, always a big party at Rowan. So we leave Stockton and we wind up driving to Rowan. And now keep in mind, like basically I'm driving around with a giant open container because the tap is still in it. The hose is like reaching up front. Joe's drinking out of it the whole way. Like I'm driving and I'm like, we finally make it to Rowan and like, we're like, man, there's tons of like kids out. I'm like, I'm not familiar with like the college scene at like Rowan. 
So there's like these fraternity dorms or whatever, weird stuff like that. So we figure, hey, we got a keg. We can go into like any party. So we like park the car. We start walking with the keg. I start, yeah, hey, what's up, blah, blah, blah. And it is immediately like we perceive that this is an extremely like hostile part, uh, like atmosphere for the people who who go to these parties. You have to know people there or whatever. And then you just don't go. So me and Joe are like, I'm an idiot. And Joe is the friend who... Every time I go out with him, uh, he's the guy who's going to get me punched in the fucking face before the end of the night. So we make a quick exodus. We're like running away from there with the keg. And they're like people chasing us. I'm like, what the fuck? They get back in the car, like strap the keg back in. It's like flying around, bust my fucking window in the back of the Volvo. I'm like, son of a bitch. Like we wind up getting out of there. And where did we go after that? We wind up like driving. We're like driving up Route 1. And... We're like, man, I'm so hungry. And it's like, you're on the, you know, you're driving up Route 1. We're coming through like South Brunswick. And my buddy lives in South Brunswick. He lives like in this trailer park. It was one of my brothers from like West Virginia. So we swing by uh, Jay's house and like there is a gigantic crazy party going on there, like out of control, of course. So we're there for like a little bit. And then of course, like the police roll up because they're like looking for somebody who's at the party. And we're like, oh man, what the hell do we do now? Like, you know, like I'm not leaving this keg here because we had the deposit on it. And like, I think... I think I, whatever, you always get a deposit for the tap too, but I was like, that's 25 bucks, whatever. So we wind up sneaking out the back there, put it back in the car, drive up to Rutgers. And then we're like, oh, man, I'm starving. So like our favorite spot, of course, that always comes up like late night when you shouldn't be driving through Highland Park is making a trip to like White Rose. And like driving through Highland Park, I had it like nailed down. I'd get over the bridge, get over the Albany Street Bridge and like back road it, get to like White Rose, have our burgers there. And like we're sitting there and we see the cops pull up and I'm like, oh my God, the keg's in the back seat. Like, like what do we do at this point? So we just like, we were just eating hamburgers like nonstop until like the cops <laughs> finally left. And like we wind up, I wind up like taking the keg and like dropping it on the side street just so like we wouldn't get pulled over. Cause I was like, they know we had the keg in the car. They're just waiting, like pull us over. But we made it home. So that was a pretty good Jersey night. We traveled all the way from New Brunswick at an Indian hotel or, uh, you know, during a semi bachelor party environment, uh, pretending I was a cop, um, going down to the Pine Barrens, almost getting beaten up by a bunch of lunkheads at like Rowan. Um, and then we made it back to New Brunswick after a side trip. White Rose, White Rose. And yeah. White Rose. Well, White Rose was a constant theme at like you know three thirty four in the morning. That does start to feel that that is the one that feels most like a live live act, like a living real life Harold and Kumar esque, like Harold and Kumar, which we, you know we talked about when we went over the NJ.com's list of Jersey movies. Like Harold and Kumar gets a lot of respect, and that idea of sometimes you just wind up in a car driving and encountering fucking mayhem. That's pretty classic right there, Bonaduce. That's pretty much my life every day, so. Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. That's hard to top. We've got Mike D's camping trip. We've got Nick and Mike getting lost in the Pine Barrens, chased by cops. We've got me trying to take an inflatable raft down the DNR Canal. That's round one of our stories. We've got my first ever Weird New Jersey night getting uh, chased out of a graveyard in Totoa. We've got... Mike recounting he and I at Blairsden, cops pulling us over before we could surpass the nun and get the tapestries, and we've got Nick Bonaduce, real-life Harold and Kumar-esque evening of debauchery. All very good Jersey stories. I think I have one that is the most Jersey night of my life. Now, I'm going to let you guys decide, and I'm going to let the listeners decide, but I do have one more where I go, if I'm really thinking of it... 
This is it. And Mike D, you were there for this one as well. <laughs> I'm always there, man. <laughs> Mike D is generally the person who is there for the most blank night of your life. Any any bad idea will immediately, you know, Mike D will be like, yeah, I, yeah, sure, no problem. Yeah, okay. I'll be along for the ride on some crazy shit. Mike D, this is my brother's bachelor party. Oh, man. Um, I have like about 150 physical photos of this party in a box. Well, keep them. I never need to see and That's that. where they will stay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll say too, some background on this was you and I, like, um, you and I had stayed in touch, but there was a stretch there where you and, and some of our New Brunswick affiliates weren't in touch. You and my brother hadn't been in touch. Just people grow apart. I was still hanging around the city a lot. So I'd come and drop by the strand when you were working there, always touched base and there was one time where I dropped by the street. Sometimes if I was in the neighborhood of where you worked, I'd go, let me just pop my head in. See, Mike, these are also a thing that seems so crazy by New York City standards. When you lived on Prince Street, sometimes I'd just actually just go by and ring your buzzer. Ring my and doorbell. actually be home. Yeah. <laughs> which never works in New York City. But every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, I'm down this way. I'll just go see if Mike D's around. And I'd ring the buzzer. So we always caught up. And I told you, I was like, I know you and Greg haven't been, uh, and you, there wasn't, I don't think there was ill will. It was just, you were in the city. He was in Philly. He was in Boston, like running around, you know? And this was before like texting made keeping casual. Like everyone knows what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to imply that you and my brother had had some falling out. I don't believe that was the case. It's just, it had been a while. I was like, dude, my brother's bachelor party is this weekend. You should come. You were like, fuck it. I'm in. Uh, so you were there. So. It, I was just thinking about it. I was like, man, it hit, just hits so many Jersey tropes. Here's what I like about it. It hits some Jersey tropes and then a little too much gas gets thrown on the fire and then there's a fucking fiasco is how this story goes. Accurate. It started out with very basic bachelor party activity. First thing, we're going to go down to that place in Jackson. We're going to play a bunch of paintball. And... Right there, Jersey. I think there's a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, I've passed that paintball place on the way to Great Adventure. We went to that paintball place. Jersey bachelor party, boom, already happening there. You should know, my brother went to school in Philly. He's lived largely in Philly since 1995. So a lot of the people who were there, it was a real good mix of old Jersey friends and also Philly fucking crackpots. And of course, one injury, severe injury happens at the paintball event. Which one? Our our good friend, George, was shot in the throat oh, yes. because someone shot him directly in the gap between that <laughs> chintzy paintball mask they give you and the chintzy <laughs> collar they give you. And I remember seeing our, our good friend on the ground with like, you know, a welt the size of a tomato growing out of his Adam's apple because he someone shot him right there. I'll also go ahead and say too, like, immediate chicanery as far as you get a bunch of West Orange people together that are immediately are plotting how to like cheat. Oh, I think if I hop this fence and go off the course, I can run, hop the fence again, capture the flag that way. Like we're immediately just cheating dirtbags, like real West Orange fucking let's, let's break the system. Let's ignore the rules, break the system. Of course, also it's my brother's bachelor party. So there's the coordinated, all right, all 25 of us uh, without Greg realizing when I say go, everybody just starts shooting him from four feet away. Let's just cut, paint him with welts. Fun shit. Then my brother really wanted to go to Seaside. Now, this was in the winter. This was off-season oh. Seaside. And uh, this was, I would say, if I remember right, it was kind of a golden age of celebrating the idiocy of the Jersey Shore, which is post-Tommy Cheese Balls on MTV True Life, pre-Jersey Shore. This was pre-Snooky situation, post Tommy Cheese Ball. So yes. we had all grown up knowing what Seaside was 
MTV had blown it out because cheese balls. I'm trying to get my cheese balls. That guy, Tommy Cheese Balls. So it was kind of the best time to celebrate the lunacy of the shore. And we did it like uh, like prom style. Like we went and rented one of those like family run oh my God, hotels that-, that has like a whole floor with like 10 beds in it. If that hotel were a D&D module, it would be called the Chamber of Skivats. It was one giant hotel room that within 45 minutes became the most skivats place in the northern hemisphere. It was disgusting. Yeah, you had it was really gross when we walked in. Instantly there was beer and malt liquor being spilled everywhere. It was much grosser. And those Philly kids could not hold their booze. Dude, and they didn't give a shit. That crew from Philly, Philly people, man, there's a certain type of Philly person. And I got a lot of love for Philly. Plus they were your brother's friends. So they're not the most normal people. They're not normal, man. These are, these are the Philly people with a fucking screw loose and they're proud of it. Like, not that we're normal, but they're just like me going like, Hey guys, I put the deposit down on the room. So we got to try to spill less beer. And then like Uh. looking me in the eye and just like opening two beers and spilling them fully on the floor and me being like. What the fuck is like? They they were that type of Philly person. Like they, my brother also made it clear. My brother will sometimes get in a mood where he's just like, "Let's cause some fucking trouble." And he was drunk and in that mood, and his Philly friends were happy to step up. The two grossest things that I've ever seen in my entire life were both from that same crew of Philly people. One which I've mentioned before was the time that that crew of people paid their friend to drink diarrhea, oh, which yeah. all of us witnessed at a party, which again, eventually that dingbat was hospitalized. The other one was with that same crew of people right around, it might have even been like a pre-wedding thing for your brother. He invited us all to a party in Philly and we get there and your brother's got like a real nice spread set out. He's got like food everywhere. And this per- this friend of his who apparently was a dentist or a doctor. Oh, that guy, yeah. He he jumps onto the table where, where all the food is. He pulls his pants down and starts fingering his own asshole Ugh. vigorously. And I'm not talking like a joke half. No, I was there. Oh, like seriously, he it's like fingering his asshole. his asshole, like hardcore porno style. And he went knuckle deep, minimum. Knuck- and then immediately goes to the buffet and starts eating food. And I say to all, I'm like, guys, yeah. no one eat anything else unless you want typhoid. Like, yeah. please. I mean, those are probably the two most disgusting yeah. things that uh. I've seen. Same crew at the bachelor party. He fingered his asshole as a joke and then was just like picking out pieces of salami and putting them on crackers like that was normal. It was fucking nuts, man. So Mike D, everyone now is, I I had stopped drinking at this point. So I was really just like the, I I was nervous, man. Cause I was like, this hotel room's fucked. It's going to cost me hundreds of dollars. I'm like, it's my brother's bachelor party. Chill out. So I actually managed to chill. Um, we took to the boardwalk, but it was, it was, I forget if it was January or February, but everything yeah, was, it was off season. Everything was close. Like the beachcombers open. That's it. Yeah. It wasn't. Well, it, we'll get to that. It was, uh, it, it was funny though. Cause it was, it was crazy cause everything was closed, but it wasn't like so cold that we couldn't walk around. Um, and if you remember Mike T is it, there was a ride, I think seaside. If I remember it, they have the thing that's like the, um, Ski lifts, right? That takes yeah, you up and down yeah, the beach. Yeah. Like the flying monorail. Dude, these fucking Philly kids are like, we should go on this ride. I'm like, well, it's closed. They're like, who cares? Do you remember this, Mike D? Climbing up. They started climbing the boardwalk banisters and leaping and grabbing onto the bottom of those things and swinging back and forth. Oh my God. It was completely fucking insane. But I mean, more often than not, they're just fucking like missing and falling down. And like, 
I don't know how people weren't breaking their fucking spines on the way down, but they all started trying to fucking hang from the bottom of the seats from the, from the turned off thing. It was like turning into real mayhem. Then we get to a bar, which may have been the beachcomber. I, I don't remember what bar it was, but wouldn't shock me. I think it was the sawmill. Yeah, sawmills at the far end, the south end. Yeah, th- th- yeah, yeah, dude. I think it was the sawmill. Nikki Bonaduce. Also, I'm looking at myself in the stream area right now, and it looks really like I'm wearing a karate a lot. Right a good now. look. It really does look like a karate. <laughs> Bonaduce. We walk into this bar, and in my mind, I'm like, we'll get a bunch of like. I'm going. If it's a slow night, they will put up with us to make some money. If it's crowded at all, they're going to tell us to turn around and leave because we're already clearly at a point where most of these people shouldn't be served. Instead, I get the third option, the curveball no one saw coming, which was we walk in and realize that, and I mean with perfect timing where it hasn't started yet, but where there's someone on a mic going like, all right, everybody grab your spots right now because we're about to start the Mike D. Break dancing contest. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. Full on fucking break oh dancing contest. Middle of winter. What? Seaside Heights, New Jersey. Fucking B boys, Guidos. I was. We should say Guido breakdancing contest. <laughs> like, but a good mix, like some B boys who have traveled from out of state, and then some straight up fucking Vinny from the block, ready to fucking throw down. And like, like Guido breakdancers who are there with girls who want to impress the girls. Like the cartoonish nightmare of like. Break dancing plus everything you want. Jersey toxic masculinity plus fucking tough guys. As soon as we walk in, I'm like, no, 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 no. Cause I could just see. And I don't even remember who put the idea in his head. It might have been you, Mike D. I don't know, but someone just turned to my brother and quietly went, Greg, you're entering this break dancing contest. Oh no. And my brother was just in one of those moods where he was like, fuck yeah, I am. And we talked to the DJ or organizer who, I don't know if we slipped the money, if there was an entry fee, but we somehow entered my drunk brother, my cross-eyed drunk brother in a real breakdancing contest. He does have some moves, I gotta say. He has no moves, Nick. You're being a sarcastic thing. It was crazy because, I mean, there's kids walking out and most of it, Mighty, how would you describe the breakdancing? I would say most of the people were like show off Guido dancers. And then there were a couple people who clearly this was their thing and they did this. There were a couple of people who like breakdancing was clearly their main driving force and they were extremely good at it and took it extremely seriously. Then I think there was a, I would say then the other 70% were Guido's who were okay at dancing and knew a few breakdancing moves. But everyone there was definitely serious about breakdancing to some degree. This was not like a karaoke <laughs> night where it was like, hey, no, jump no, in no, no. and everybody will sing along even if you're off key and you barely know the words. This was like people came here to win this breakdancing contest. People traveled to come to this. They didn't just wander in off the boardwalk in the middle of winter to, to be part of this. There were people who came from out of state. I know this for a fact. There were people who were going, this is my chance to get known beyond the borders of the Jersey Shore. Like, I don't know what level of breakdancing contest this was, but it was clear, okay, this has a little bit of regional fucking mojo. Like if you win this thing, people want to win it. And then you got my brother who, it always cracks me up. He does this thing where he will walk onto a dance floor and it's very easy. If you just want to shut your eyes, listener, you can imagine it. 
what he does is he lets his arms go completely limp. And then he just twists and flings his body weight back and forth. Mike D's laughing because he can see it in his mind. And he just lets his dead limp arms just bounce off his back and his chest. And he just swings around. And Mike D, I've seen my brother in this situation many times growing up. It might have been maybe the last time I saw it where you can vouch for me. None of these breakdancers thought this shit was funny. No, I... The Philly people thought this was funny. Even the other Jersey people at that bachelor party were like... Oh fuck! What did we You're do? Get beat up because the break oh, dancers man. were like, "We're gonna kill this fucking geek, man." They were offended that he was mocking the art of b boying. That was my take. He had also rolled his shirt up in the front into a little knot. Just <laughs> <laughs> like belly was sticking out. It's like fucking awful chest hair. My brother will laugh when he hears it. Like, it's just like me and him both have chest hair. That's like like sections where it looks like, like where you're like, are you a man or a boy? You know, like we got that. And him just like flinging his fucking dead arms back and forth to the song, using up all the time. Like all of us laughing and the B-boys feeling like they're being laughed at. And then classic Greg Gethard, like you could just go do that, get the laugh and then like take a bow and get out of there and let the contest move on. Or it could be like each B-boy gets seven minutes, so I'm going to do this one move for seven straight minutes. And I don't remember. I think I may have grabbed my brother pretty quickly afterwards and said like, I think we got to get the fuck out of here. I don't, I I think it calmed down somehow. I don't know if we talked to the B-boys, but they were going to kill my brother. No, we, we, we had to flee the, the bar basically. Like we, we left and there were, it, there were people shouting at us as we left that we better get out of there and not come back. We were lucky to escape without being beaten. My Lord. Here's the kicker. And I don't know if I've ever told you this, Mike Dean. But years later, I'm uh, involved in a show at the UCB Theater. The big Sunday night show there was called Ask Hat. What would happen is you'd come out, intro the show, you'd bring out the cast, bring out someone of renown. You know, you try to get a celebrity. They tell true stories from their life and then the improvisers make up scenes good show. It's a very, very popular show. But what happened is there was a lot of talk at the beginning in that intro. And a lot of times you'd interview the crowd. Who are you? What do you do? And there was a stretch where one of the, one of the co-hosts, I was hosting it. And one of the co-hosts would always be like, is there anybody here who has any skills or tricks? So people would get up and do fucking magic or if somebody knew how to juggle. And then there was this one kid one day, he's sitting on the floor and I'm making eye contact with him. And he's like, kind of smiling at me. And I quietly walk over to him. I'm like, I know you. He's like, yeah, you do. Oh, God. I'm like, it's not through comedy. He's like, no. <gasps> I'm like, how do I know you? He goes, I beat your brother in a breakdancing contest. No way. Dude, the kid who fucking won that breakdancing contest showed up at UCB one night. Get out of here. Brought him up on stage, had him breakdance. He brought the fucking house down. He used to come all the time. Really, really good dude named David. Could dance his fucking ass off. And Mike D, I don't think I've ever told you this. It's packed up in a box in my basement somewhere. I have the first place plaque. I have the winner <laughs> plaque from that breakdance contest. No way. He gave it to you? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, man. That might be my most Jersey night. That's a good night. It starts as a bachelor party where you do the shore and you hit the Jackson paintball place and it ends with you almost getting killed by some breakdancers while Philly people run amok. Pretty Jersey. A lot of Jersey things right there. Is it more New Jersey than the Chris Gethard bus tour that Nick and I were both on? Oh my God. (laughs) You have to, you know, I was going to bring that up and especially because when Chris started with like 
when he was in high school and was organizing, you know, a weird New Jersey road trip with all different kinds of people. So I, I think this was like your second one. But I had done one that way. So I, Mike, Mike had coerced me into going. My, like I was a New York comedian, and one of the first things I did that got press was I had been telling a lot of stories from my life, and a group of people who liked them uh, said, your stories all take place in Jersey. We want to rent a bus and go see the place. I said, bullshit, nobody likes me. Like I was real low on the tone. But we did it, and it sold out, and it was so weird. It got all this, these, this press and this write-up. So I said, let's do a second one, Halloween. We'll do a weird New Jersey tour. And this was when Bonaduce showed up. Nick did not, I did not see Nick that night. I only saw Bonaduce. Yeah, Nick Nick, uh, Nick made it to the city. And then once we got to the city, I don't know what happened. And um, you, it, the follow-up to the story is I won't like, you know, but Chris didn't talk to me for several years after this. <laughs> not that we saw each other all the time, but like it was a well-known fact that, and I didn't think that anything terrible happened that night but evidently i was a uh antagonist and chris was very upset with me afterwards listen when i would see you at mike d's thanksgiving parties it would it would always thaw but it did hit a point where i was begging mike d please mike please you have to control bonaduce because your behavior on this bus i really wasn't doing anything wrong it was the other people there it was all those nyu kids aka the comedy fans who were in on the, here's what happened here's what the disaster was it was a halloween tour so we said let's start it at midnight what i didn't anticipate that i should have was this meant everyone on that bus went out and had at least two or three drinks before we got on that bus you had coolers of free beer like that too before you got on everybody was grabbing beer and then the, there was massive amounts of beer there was also an appearance by a mythical figure who I know who I know through you but I also understand was a mythical UCB character who will only refer to as pot cookie man oh pot cookie man was there in full effect he was there he just wrote he a was, book he just outed himself he just wrote a book all about his uh, pot cookie no way so, there were a lot of people on edibles a lot of people drunk and the bus driver we rented from this place out in Flushing uh, like a, this bus company run by it's like family run by a Chinese group and this guy took one look at us and he was like I don't want to clean the fucking bathroom like sir it was a bus from like circa 1979 it it was an old bus and he was like the the toilet's broken and people had been drinking a lot and they were driving around New Jersey for hours and people did not like that and people kept asking if they could I, I was trying to drive people let's go to the devil's tower everybody now we're going to go to the Watchung reservation I'll show you the water tower where the kid killed himself oh and we'll, we'll talk about the ghost stories down by the deserted village in Watchung village wouldn't even let me off the bus to take a piss man oh Nick I was going to let you off at. you wouldn't let me off the devil's tower I had to pee so bad I was just running in the bushes and taking a leak I would have been tried fine. to lead a rebellion against no I didn't Nicky Bonaduce started saying things like Chris if you don't let me off this fucking bus, we're all going to kill you. I don't remember that. You led a rebellion of the entire bus. I, I remember. Now, to be yeah. fair, you did eventually start shouting that you had, I think you were shouting that you had a Leatherman and you were going to disassemble the door to the toilet. Yes, I was. And take it apart yourself. And at that point, the bus driver remembered that it magically was not broken. And I realized, oh, he just doesn't want to clean it. He just doesn't want to have... 70 drunk people's fucking piss and shit to clean up at the end of the night. And you know what? I understand. God bless him. But he was a little deceptive about it. 
Turned out he did magically remember that the toilet was not broken when you produced a flathead screwdriver and started trying to disassemble the door. But I can also say, Mike and Nick, I'm, and this is not throwing shade, my fans were much younger at that point. You were the oldest people on the bus by far. So Nick, when you were like, let's all betray Chris, scream at him, threaten to kill him, literally standing up in your seat while I was trying to talk and being like, fuck this, everybody. If we all run to the front, they have to stop so we can get off and piss. And me being like, Nick, let me find a rest stop. And you being like, fuck that motherfucker. I had the pee so bad that I couldn't even like pee into a beer can because it would have like, I would have filled like a six pack at that point. <laughs> and my other option was peeing on the floor. And I was like trying not to pee on the floor. I don't think this is the most Jersey night in anybody's life. I think it's the, the night in our friendship where I, it, it, it like in the hero's journey of my life, I had to face down Bonaduce. There was one night in my life where Bonaduce wasn't on my side, and it was that night. Up since I had been a little kid, Bonaduce had saved my ass. It's a protection mechanism for me and other people around me. My high school bully messes with me. I get in a fight with the kid. Bonaduce throws him up against the locker and says, "You don't touch little Chris ever again." In college, I'm cross-eyed drunk. I've been drinking uh, two, chugged two bottles of fucking Mad Dog 2020 Ugh. on Franny's 21st birthday and got all passed out. Everybody's about to call 911. Bonaduce shows up, says, I'm throwing him in the shower. You turn the cold water on me, you sit with me all night. Bonaduce always saved me. And that was the one night where I had to look that demon in the eyes and figure out how to navigate it. That was a, it was fun, though. We did go to what? We go, we went to Dingbats or what was the other place that's haunted? And that's where we we went to wherever. I don't even know. I have no clear memory of that part of that, but we did run into Skeletor. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's right. Yeah, because Dingbats in Clifton, they say, is haunted. They, they claim that the bar is haunted and the basement is haunted. So they let us all down there. We got there, and there was this guy who used to always go to shows in North Jersey. We always called him Skeletor, and we saw him that night. I got locked out of the bar there, too. And we told him that we called him Skeletor. I hope he's doing good. Did you tell him we used to call you Skeletor? I think at that point, nothing but the truth could come out of me. It was that night. It was that kind of evening. But he really did look like Skeletor. I mean, I thought maybe... It was shocking how much he looked like Skeletor. Yeah. If he had, like, a purple hood on, it was all over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does anybody else have any... Any final contestants? And then I don't think we even need to decide. I think we let the listeners decide. Leave a comment on the Patreon. What do you think is the most Jersey night you've heard about tonight? And most importantly, what are your Jersey nights? What's the most Jersey night in your life? Whether you want to leave a comment on the Patreon. The listeners are going to have such better stories than us. 973 There'll definitely be people with more wholesome ones. Especially all the riffraff from Bergen County. Oh my God. I'll close with one quick one that I feel like has to be said because it represents a very specific time, place, and scene. I'm not sure. I know. I'm not sure if one or both of you guys were there, but you know, mid nineties, we all decide that we're going to go to a show at studio one in Newark, which I know the building still exists. The club does not exist, but you know, pretty, pretty tough part of Newark. And I say to everybody, well, if we're going to go down to Newark, we could go. We should go to the other Italian hot dog place in New Jersey besides Jimmy Buff, Dickie D, which is the hot dog place I grew up going on. And also, shout out to the uh, Newark Little League <laughs> Dickie D's baseball team, which I was a member of the championship team, which I'll bring up whenever possible. I also heard that in the neighborhood, Dickie D's is just as much a pizza place as a hot dog place. For sure, yeah. yeah. Like if you were going to order pizza, you would call Dickie D's. Definitely a great pizza. They still have great pizza. So definitely, but also known for Newark style Italian hot dog um, and great t-shirts. They have a cool logo. So I 
tell all our friends, oh, we're going to go to Studio One, but first we're going to go to Dickie D. So we all drive down to Dickie D's. And at this point, I am not a vegetarian yet. I shortly will be, but some of our friends are. It causes a huge stink at Dickie D's where they try to get, uh, you know, just potatoes on their Italian hot dog. Then we go to Studio One, and I'm, I'm pretty sure, I know the show was definitely bulldoze and Snapcase, oh and i think it was i think it was also 414 if anyone remembers them they were like another sort of local hardcore band and studio one was a big place and we go there and i wasn't super into hardcore that was much more like my brother's thing or some of our friends but we go to the show 414 plays um and then bulldoze starts playing and I remember at the time, I'd never seen anything like this. All the DMS dudes come out. That guy Minus comes out. He starts dancing with hammers. He has a hammer in each hand. And he's literally like dancing on this one. All of us are like, oh my God, like what is going on? And then like, you know, Kevin from Bulldoze comes out. And like all their shows basically were half the show was him fighting people in the audience. And we don't even stay to see Snapcase play, but I thought that was the most representative of like what the Jersey hardcore scene, like that's a very Jersey night. You get Dickie D's, you go to a show, the show is so violent, there's people dancing with hammers that you have to leave. I mean, that is, you know, very typical, that DMS, like Jersey hardcore vibe. Like you went around the corner to like Pipeline, it was like a different scene. Like that was, it was, uh, it was just, you know, real like, truly punk rock i mean even though they did all kinds of other shows there too you were in an interesting neighborhood you could drink when you were like 13 in there and uh yes even even though everybody like you know danced and had a good time no like i was never like afraid I, I, every hardcore show i ever go to i always feel there's like this element of like fear and it would always be like during our time like in the mid 90s it was like this insane like straight edge fucking movement that was going on at the time. And they were all just these like, you know, like earth crisis and all those lunatics. Yeah. I think it was just this like sexually deprived testosterone, like outcast, like jerk off crowd that just wanted to start shit with fucking everybody. Then I would, I never, I mean, we could go to like oi shows in the city, like, you know, like all these other kinds of crazy shows. And I never felt I never felt like there was this air of like danger, like, but every hardcore show I'd go to was like, uh, you know, you're going to have to like punch somebody in the face to like, just move out of the way. Just to survive, just to make it back to your fucking car. Yeah. They were scary. The pipeline was not scary. Yeah, the pipeline was cool. cool. people ran it. Yeah, pipeline was the cool. The neighborhood was scary. The pipeline itself was fine. The neighborhood was scary. Yeah, but you know, the, the, the shows were cool, but that- Right across the street from uh, Whoopty Town. From what town? You were right, right next to Hoopty Hoop Town. Hoop Excuse me. Yep. <laughs> it was like a car dealership. Well, listen, I've got a bunch of other nights I could talk about, but we got to cut it off. Episodes running long. Those are some nights that come to mind for us. We want to hear what do you think captures the most Jersey vibe out of the stories you've heard, and we want your stories. Nine seven three seven eight zero four six six zero. Leave a voicemail about this topic or anything else. But I know there are people out there who have epic nights, tales that they think sum up the Jerseyness. We want to hear them. Let us know. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Kopp, and Mike D. 
Jersey is the World is produced and edited by Carson Kopp, Mike D., and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the World and on Instagram at New Jersey is the World. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the world, where New Jersey is the world.